Hello, and welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast for Edgewood Church in Danville, Illinois. This week at Edgewood. Today's going to feel a little bit more lesson-like. There's some sermons I look forward to preach, some that I don't look forward to as much, um, just because of the topics being covered. Um, I do actually, today I have a handout with some notes, and uh, I'm going to grab, I'm going to grab Sam, he's not ready yet. Joe, could you go ahead and start passing these out? Um, the big blank spot on the bottom of the notes, there was a picture that was going to be down there, and our printer won't print the picture for some reason, so it ended up without the big picture at the bottom. Um, we're talking about, and I'm going to pray in just a moment here after he's done passing those out, we're talking about, uh, because that's where the text has taken us, church discipline, okay? So as we're thinking about church discipline, it's funny because every time I say discipline, Oh, I wish that was louder. I feel like that plays every time in my head. I go, church discipline. I thought about just doing that every single time as I'm going through, and every time I say the word, that plays. But feel free in your own heads, every time I say that word, if you want to have that word, uh, you know, and I say discipline, and in your head you hear that. That's fine with me. Um, I think that you will see, though, um, especially after all this talk of fathers this morning, that discipline is really one of the most loving things that you can do for your children, is good, loving, caring discipline. So uh, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump into this week's message. Our Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for this day, and I thank you, God, for your word. I thank you for where it's taking us, Lord, as we work our way through 1 Corinthians, Lord, we're ready and willing to uh, dig into each part of the teaching that we encounter, or the easy parts, the tough parts, the, the sweet parts, the harsh parts, Lord, whatever you bring to us, we're ready and willing to dig into those things and hear what you have to say. Lord, I pray now that you would guide and direct this morning and that your truth would be evident in all that is said and taught. In your name I pray, amen. Um, So we had, oh, sorry, (laughs) wrong button. Uh, Last week, the purpose of church discipline is what we talked about. And uh, Paul said in verses four and five, he says, when you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present, I'm right there with you, With the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man. And if you weren't here last week, this may sound super, super harsh and scary. In some ways it is. Uh, Deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. This brought us last week to one of the purposes of disciplining this this person is for hopeful restoration. And we talked about that. We're looking for restoration. And you can see that in this passage. We're delivering this man over to, out of this protection into the hands of Satan. What's the purpose? That his soul may be saved. The destruction of those fleshly desires. Now, there's a lot more there, but I want to focus on this for just a moment because the very idea of what we're talking about 
and I, I'm not going to play it again, but in your heads, if you want to think about that discipline, uh, I shared this quote last week that talked about this idea, this aversion. Like, why is it funny that I would put that music to that word and what's going on in our heads when we think about discipline? So Stephen Um uh, on discipline, he says, there's a cultural, right, all of us, there's an aversion to discipline, okay? Now, I'm sharing this again because I think it's going to lay a, put a framework in place for as we're hearing about this talk on discipline, if you have certain feelings about it, I think that this quote kind of shares why you may feel that way, okay? There's a cultural aversion to discipline. We're comfortable with the idea of self-discipline. We may not be very good at it, right? But we're comfortable with the idea of self-discipline, bringing ourselves into line with certain standard in order to reach long-term goal like weight loss, eating healthily, or, or earning an additional degree. We even refer to different branches of knowledge or fields of study as disciplines, right? Because we understand that it takes sustained focus, hard work, and self-discipline to grasp them. However, we are uncomfortable with the idea of being disciplined by an external force. Now, I'm saying this, I think this is true. You'll have to discern if you agree with that thought or not. I think many of us are uncomfortable with the idea of, a, of being disciplined by an external force. Someone or something outside ourselves, and he puts the reason for this, and I, this is why I'm sharing this, the reason is rampant individualism, right? Rampant individualism. By the way, I was, when I was reading through this quote again this morning, I thought, I feel like I have a different perspective on this now after this last school year than I ever had before. Being a dean, what am I doing all day long? Discipline. And encountering different reactions to discipline. And uh, it's been interesting for me to think about it in those terms because you get this broad spectrum, every possible situation coming under this, this and here I am, I'm, I'm dealing out, and that's become my job, dealing out discipline. Um, I think that I've tried to do it in a loving way uh, at school. Uh, one of my evidences of that is the, um, the assistant, he sits out front, and what was it he said the other day? He said, uh, or the, not the other day, it was a few weeks ago. He said, uh, he said, that's the first time I've ever seen a kid get suspended and walk out with a smile on his face. So I'm, I'm hoping that I'm dealing it out in such a way that they understand the, the love behind what we're trying to do. That's my hope. Now, this quote goes on. Uh, so Stephen Um, he's going to now quote Jonathan Lehman. And Jonathan Lehman says, uh, for the average person in Western culture today, that's us, every attachment is negotiable. We are all free agents. And every relationship and life station is a contract that can be renegotiated or canceled, whether we're dealing with the prince, the parents, the spouse, the salesman, the boss, the ballot box, the courtroom judge, or, of course, the local church. You understand what he's saying? I'm all in until you do something I don't like, and then I'm going to renegotiate this, and I might just go somewhere else. Oh, did it not go? Oh, you can't see it. I'm sorry. Move this over here. You good now? Better? Okay. Now, now Janie can't see it. I'm sorry, Janie. Um, <clears throat> and he says at the end of this, he says, I am principally obligated to myself and maximizing my life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, I retain the power to veto everything. 
And I think that that's what plays into our mindset as I'm talking about this topic. Because for someone outside of us, so if you're to come to church and you be a part of it, for someone, it's all great when we're talking about loving each other. But I've seen this over and over again, even before I was the pastor here, many, many people, they get to that point where they're all good until the, somebody in the church says, what you're doing is wrong and you should stop. Then suddenly, whoo. Now, what do you think is one of the most common responses in that situation by the person? What do you think is the phrase? Oh, I heard it. You can't be judging me, right? You judging me? You can't judge me. Now, keep that little phrase in mind. It's going to play a part into Paul's uh, teaching today, okay? But let's go here. Let's, now we're going to get into the second part, and this is where we're going to be at this week. We're going to talk about the process, and this is why it's moved from uh, what I feel like, I, I've just naturally felt like this has moved into, I'm like in teacher mode right now, okay? The process of church discipline. We'll start with this passage. We're going to start with a passage outside of 1 Corinthians, and the passage is Matthew chapter 18, okay? So if you're taking notes, you have your little sheet of notes there. Uh, the process... Joe, were there any extras, leftovers? Pass one down. The process is what goes in that first blank there. The process of church discipline. We're going to start in Matthew 18. In Matthew 18, let me give you some context. Jesus is teaching his disciples in Matthew chapter 18. So I'm going to read something that Jesus said. Okay, and so you're going to hear some words of Jesus. And he's talking to his disciples. And they had started with a question about greatness. They'd come to Jesus and said, who's the greatest in the kingdom? That's how this conversation got started. And Jesus goes in answer to that question. He goes some different ways with the responses. Talks about faith like a child. He talks about temptations that are going to come. You're going to be tempted. Talks about sadness, woe to the person from whom the temptations come. He talks about drastic measures uh, to take in, with sin in your life. You've probably heard that passage before, right? If your eye offends you, pluck it out. If you're, right? uh, that, he talks about that. He talks about the parable of the lost sheep. And then he turns to this next passage. So in response to who's the greatest, he goes through those topics, those little situations, and he turns to this. And he says this, Jesus, Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. If your brother... And this is the Greek word adelphos, means brothers or sisters, okay? If your brother sins against you, and this is what you do, you go tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. I love this particular passage because it's so simple. So simple. So even though it's simple, I'm going to put a little picture up there, right? Little stick figures for you. Okay, so the guy in red, that's representing your brother who sinned against you. The other guy, that's representing you. You're aware of sin. This sin against you, all sin is ultimately against God and the church. And so this is not meant to be limited to just someone that has sinned directly against you. It's sin that you've become aware of. Maybe this person is sinning in this other way, and it's not necessarily against you, but that's the concept that's uh, stated here. So I'm going to give you step one. It needs to be personal confrontation. So the very first step of church discipline is personal confrontation. Just between, and if you notice that, 
who is this between, according to Jesus' words? Who is, now, this is where we're going to shift. See, I've got this little board here behind me. I've got a marker. You're going to get involved. Are you ready to get involved? Oh, come on. Okay. Personal confrontation. So who's it between? You and him alone. That's very important. And this is why I have it done this way. This is a circle of knowledge. Okay? So the circle of knowledge. Who's in the circle of knowledge knowing about this sin? You and him. That's it. You're the only ones that know. Circle of knowledge is small. We're not bringing outside people into this yet. Now, there's some implications here, and this is where I'd like you to get involved. I'm going to put the word implications up here. All right, so some implications. There are certain things that are implied already, and I want you to think about this for just a moment. Think about what's implied. What, just keeping this circle. What are some things that are implied that, well, you shouldn't be doing this, or maybe things that you should be doing? There, oh, there's all kinds of avenues we can take here. I've got some on my little list, but I'm betting you may think of some that I haven't thought of. Oh, that was the first one on my list, right? Oh, man, you guys, are it's like you read my mind. Oh, yes. Gossip, no. Alliances. You guys know what she means by alliances? Right? Oh, man, we've seen this play out a hundred times, haven't we? This person's done something, what do you do? You go get your best friend. You go, you wouldn't believe what they did. And you get them to agree with you, don't you? And they're like, yeah, I know. Well, that's bad. I know it's bad, isn't it? You really think I should do I don't know what you think. Let's bring in a couple more people. Let's figure out what we're going to do. Then you get your little team together. The Alliance of Righteousness. That's what you think of yourselves as, right? I'm telling you right now, that's not right. What did Jesus say to do? Between you and him alone. So first implication is, here is gossip, uh-uh. And that's what it is. When you start telling other people, you're going directly against exactly what Christ would have you do in that situation by bringing other people into the situation. On a practical note, I think that, notice that Jesus said, if you go and he hears and there's repentance there, you've gained your brother back. And notice the circle of knowledge never has to get any bigger than that. I see all kinds of benefits for that. For you, for them, I mean, you've earned a trust with this person at this point. For, for this, per, this person that's in sin, that's been confronted, there's a lot of, there's a lot of situations, where you, especially if you have new Christians that don't necessarily know. They didn't know that was sin. They didn't know they shouldn't be doing it. They hadn't thought it through yet. And you've come to them like, oh, my goodness. They don't have to endure the fact that you just went and told half the congregation or half the neighborhood or half the family. No gossip. Any other implications with this one? That was the big one. Yeah. Oh, yes. Done in love. Okay. Now, I think there's some keys here that let us know that this is true. First of all, you're talking about this person as family. Okay. And the result, if they've heard you, you've gained your what? Brother, your sister back. I mean, the relationship is restored, which means from this, I think, and I hope I'm not stealing one from my wife who's getting ready to say one. Um, relationship is implied. There's a, implied here that there's some type of relationship with this you've developed. So even before this step, isn't there some other things that are happening 
You're talking to them. You're aware of them. I mean, the fact that the circle of knowledge is small means that you knew about this because you know this person. So there's a lot of implications here. This implies to me that you ought to be, when you're at church, you're making connections. You're getting involved. You're getting to know each other, right? Did I steal yours? Mm-hmm. You have to look at the fact that God has started it smaller to show us a sense of humility that I could be wrong. Mm. So I'm going to go into this one-on-one because I could actually agree with you. So since we talked this morning, I'm going to put the word that we used this morning. Um, I think that implied here as you're going into this, there ought to be some questions asked. I, I've heard, is this true? Am I understanding this correctly? Did I see this rightly? Is this what actually what's going on? Because sometimes in that, so if you've gone and you've shared it with five other people, and then you finally go to the person, you find out it wasn't even true to begin with, think of all the repair work you're going to have to do. Not only over here, but with this person as well. So step one, personal, personal confrontation. Any other implications? Yeah. Oh, that's, that is, I'm so glad you said that one. Um, how can I put this up here? Regularly happening, maybe? Okay, regularly happening? Absolutely. This is the type of thing, if, when church discipline is being done correctly, you hope and pray that it stops right here. It ought to be happening all the time, I, I should never know anything about most of it, right, as the pastor? Th- th- this ought to be going on, brothers and sisters in Christ, confronting, restoring, relationship built. Uh, it, not every single thing has to be boom, church-wide. This ought to be going on all the time, brothers and sisters in Christ, confronting, lovingly, personal confrontation. Okay, anything else? Yeah. So mm. It can't be that I'm confronting because I believe he's going to hear me. Mm. I'm confronting because that's the right thing to do. It oh. may be that he won't hear me or he will hear me. Yeah. But it's not dependent on me. Yeah. You know, um, I want to say something about what she just said, and then we're going to put that one up there. One of my favorite things about, um, I have a certain pastor I love listening to, and he, he, he puts all of his effort, when you listen to him, all of his effort seems to be focused on just figuring out what does the text say. He's not trying to come up with all kinds of points and things. like. He's just like, this is what it says. And that's why I love what she just said. Think about what it says. If he hears you. Right? If he hears you. That wasn't on my list. Good job, hon. If he hears you. Yeah. And isn't that what we do? I think he's going to listen to me. If he, I'm not. It's not worth it. There must be some measure of you're, you're hopeful, right? If he hears you. I don't know how to put that up there. Obedience. I'm just going to put obedience. I hope that you'll remember what that meant. Obedience for you as the person doing the confronting. Hmm? Obedience regardless and of the assumed results. Yeah. Hmm. Oh. Yeah, it should be at the top. This should be going on up here, right? Here, let's move it up here. Uh, 
prayer, absolutely. Now, one of them that I haven't seen yet or heard yet specifically, but I think it's been kind of discussed here as we've gone through. Um, Jesus at one point says, if you see a speck in your brother's eye, what are you supposed to do first? Get the log out of your own eye first, right? Um, you know, so, you know, here, let me help you with the little speck in your eye. So, no, I mean, you, you got some beam sticking out your eye. You're not going to be, and what's, what's he teaching there? He's saying, examine yourself first. This is going to fold right into the next one, okay? So let's, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to save some of those implications. Going to fold, there are going to be some repeats in this next part. So here we have what Jesus says next in verse 16. He says, but if he does not listen, okay, so you've gone, you've confronted, circle knowledge is small, but if he does not listen, he says, take one or two others along with you, and then he gives a purpose here. I think this is important. That every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Okay? Now, I took up more room on this sheet than I thought, so I'm going to move to the next one. So implications. Okay, we're going to do some more implications. Step two, implications. Okay, step two, implications. But first, let me put up my little illustration here. So now the circle of knowledge is going to expand. I put three people there. It says two or three others. I'm going to call step two witnessed confrontation, witnessed confrontation. So, and I call it this because it's not just about bringing bigger, there's, there's a witness element that's involved, okay? Uh, this gives an opportunity to make sure that everything's going right, because so you may go to somebody else, you say so you've confronted, they're like, not listening. You go to this other person, you go, I went and this other person may be, and I would recommend someone that you trust as wise counsel. I would recommend somebody that's also close to this person, right? The goal here is not about the alliances. Can we go ahead and put that up again? This is still not about building alliances. Okay, Oop, circle. Right, still not about building alliances. Because hopefully the goal in this process is that you may come over here and say, I I've confronted them. This person may go, You've got a beam in your eye. You've got a log in your eye. That may be the first problem we need to deal with before we go anywhere else. Right? You may have gone with the wrong attitude. You may have gone in that first step. You may have gone with pride, thinking you're better than they are. And let's be honest, that seeps through no matter how much you try to hide it, doesn't it? You may have gone uh, without that, that sense of love and hopeful restoration. You may have been going to put them in their place. Mm. You come over here and what happens? That starts to come out. And before this even gets dealt with, there may be some things and suddenly we're back on step one, but now it's with you. How are you going to respond? Do you see the benefit there? Jesus is genius, isn't he? This, this makes, so, the fact that he's laid it out, this is how you ought to do it, builds in so many different little checks and balances for us as fallible, sinful human beings to submit ourselves to God's good wisdom. Uh, what are some other implications that you may see in here? I could put no gossip again, couldn't I? Because that's not what this is about. Oh, love bomb. 
Yeah. They're, they're feeling a love bomb. I like that. Do you see what she's saying? I mean, you, you go as a group. Yeah, what do you have? You know what? It could not be felt the way, right? It could, it, it's, there's, there's such a, I think of the word is tenuous situation here. Feels like it's on the balance, doesn't it? And, and you know, you know, in fact, we, we're going to see that again. I think if I go back, um, right, uh, it's going to, oh, no, it's going to say it in the next verse. I'm sorry. Um, it's going to say, again, if he refuses to listen. I mean, that's, that's a possibility. There's an implication here that this person may be so dead set in their sin. Now, hopefully, if you've gone and you've gathered these other witnesses, and it's clear, this is definitely sin. This is destructive for this person. This is going against God. We need to confront them again. We need to bring it to this. So if you get to this step and you've gone with this group, right? Once again, it needs to be done in love. But you're absolutely right. Very much so. Could this be perceived as, even if you have the best intentions, is it possible that it won't be received that way? Yeah. It could be seen as you're ganging up on me, right? Yeah. I, I think it's like in counseling, if you're starting at cold counseling, sometimes we become aware of things that maybe we didn't think about if there's two or more there. Mm-hmm. Clarity, perspective. I think as well, you start bringing other people into the situation at this step, you also have better options because some people, when they're in their sin, they feel helpless. There's no way to get out of this situation. I mean, I hear what you're saying, but I don't know how to get out of it. You start, you, at this point here, you start having the options. There's other options that come in. And then for me, um, I'm the type that, even in the first step, I'm very much fall into the, the side of like, I understand, it's, you know, it's okay. Sometimes I need somebody with me that's going to go, but it's still wrong. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'll bring my mother-in-law with me. No, but it's still wrong. It, it, in a loving way, right? Not, not to play good cop, bad cop, but this, uh, sometimes I... I, I get to that point, and I'm just, I'm just being honest with you. I have a hard time sometimes getting to that point and, and just still saying, you know, especially when someone's presented a situation where I go, man, that is a difficult situation to get out of. I'm like, huh. And sometimes we need somebody else that's in that situation to say, you know, I also think it's also good you've brought in somebody that maybe has been there before. That's super helpful. Because you saying it's one thing, this other person saying, I, I, I hear what you're saying, but I've been where you're at, and I'm telling you right now. Yeah, there's hope. Um, any other implications? I know I haven't written all of them down. Yeah. Yes. I'm gonna put so I'll put prayer down here again. And we'll circle and put up on top. Everything just bathed in it, right? 
prayerfully. I, I know for myself, I don't do this often enough when I'm getting ready to go, it, but the times when I've, I'm getting ready to talk to somebody, I stop and I go, you know, or somebody else in the situation goes, let's pray real quick before we go in there. Okay, let's, yeah, that's right. Let's pray. Um, there's, what's the proverb talks about? You know, a, what is it, has it go? A rope of two or three strands is not easily, strands is not easily broken. You guys know which one I'm talking about? I'm looking at my mother and my mother-in-law. <laughs> um, you know, a single one by itself, but you put, you bind those up, a rope with two or three strands is not easy. They add some strength and some, some uh, a stronger element of love. But you're right, it may not be handled that way. It may not be seen that way. Okay? All right, any other implications before I move on to the next step? Jesus says, Matthew 18, verse 17, just the first half, says this, if he refuses to listen to them... What's to happen next? Tell it to the church. The church is that assembly, right? The ecclesia, it's the assembly, it's the gathered together assembly of God's people. So uh, let's put this little illustration up here. So now the circle of knowledge has expanded to church size, right? That's how big the circle is at this point. So the circle of knowledge has expanded now to all those that are part of the church. I'm going to call step three, corporate Confrontation, the word corporate, meaning uh, acting as one unit. Okay, so a corporation is a group acting as one. So we sometimes say that the corporate worship services, right? Corporate just meaning we are acting as one body. We're coming together. And this is so, so important because notice that at no, no point in this is it said, go get the pastor. The pastor, uh, in this situation, the pastor plays a role just like any other brother or sister in Christ. This isn't go to the top dog and bring them and say, ah, I brought the pastor, now you're going to have to repent, right? That's not what it's about. The pastor is just another one of the brothers or sisters in Christ in this situation. And you'll see that as we go through this a little bit further, that the the decision-making process is never meant to be one person deciding. It's you as a body, the the church deciding these things. So here we have the circle of knowledge has increased from one to a few the church. What are some implications that we may have in here? Turn over another page. Step three implications. <laughs> Say it again. Serious, serious guy, yeah. Serious opportunities for it, right? And so I'm going to put an extra bold. Let's stop this. And this is where, as it's brought before the church, and I've been in churches before they had to do these kinds of things, and almost every time the pastor will have to get up and say, understand, and they maybe have to do some reteaching on this idea. This is not about these things. It's about hopeful restoration. Hopeful restoration. This is not about now you can just go blab to everybody. That's not what it's about. If, if you're not part of the problem or part of the solution, it shouldn't even be falling out of your, you know, across your lips. So if you're in here, but you don't know that person, if a larger church, maybe you don't know that person, that, that's not something you'd be sitting there talking to your, your buddies about, you know, as you're going into the bathroom, back in the back, like, oh, can you believe that they did that? Oh my goodness, I didn't know that that was, even... out, that's out, right? What are some implications as well in the positive direction? What are some things that become implied here? Or negative, negative. Well, I'm just going to say, I, I 
I'm going to put down, um, I didn't have this on my list, but that's good. A church that understands, I almost went off there, church discipline. Right? There's an implication here that you have a church that understands this, right? That gets it, has learned on this topic. Yeah. Is there, did you have something? Yes. Yeah. Now, there's a lot of things, and we're going to get into this a little bit with um, the passage that we're supposed to be in. Membership in a church. It's not. I'm not going to take you to a passage of scripture that says you should be a member of the church. But, but passages like this show you that there needs to be an understanding of who is part and who is not. Who's connected, who's not. Who, who's, who's all in and who's not. And, and there's so much implied here. In fact, when we get to the other passage, but even in this one, um, take it to the church. It's implied there that you know who that is. Right? You know who that is. You're not just taking it to whoever's there that day. You're taking it to that, that particular local assembly of people. So there's an implication there of understanding. And th- this is not to talk about this is how it's done or this is how it's done, but at some level, there's an understanding of who is and who is not. Who is the church in this group? Right? Anybody else? Other implications? Oh, absolutely. Yes. I'll just put an arrow over here. You know, he's talking about there's... The church in the Bible is used in two ways, the word church. One, in one way, it's used as the universal church, all of God's people across the whole globe. But the, the word is used quite often to talk about the church at Ephesus, the church at Philippi, right? There's, there's local body. We are a local assembly of believers. This town is big enough to have more than one church. Sometimes I think, man, we should just get all get together but this is how it is. This is where we're at. We're in this part, this group, right? So it's implied that there's some measure of connection that you've made to a local assembly of believers, right? Yeah. I think that's even also implied that this person is connected to this mm-hmm. like it's, it's like, yes. I, it's the same point we talked about in, in first step, which is like the implied relationship that there is some sort of connection to this person that it would need yeah. to be brought up. Yes. Now, I want you to take what he just said and hold on to that thought because when we get into first, back into 1 Corinthians, that is going to be a dominant thought, very, very important. That this, is, this process is for somebody who is part of this church, whatever this church is. It starts off at the beginning, your brother. Okay, It goes through the whole thing, bring it to the church. Okay, So that's implied, absolutely, that this is a person who is part of that. Yeah. Mm. When it comes down to it, all are called to be a part of that conversation and to respond to it in love. Yeah. Not just the counselors, not just the pastors. So that's why I love when we had to do church discipline here. I've looked around and and I've I've seen the 
Mm -hmm. You know, it's, we're all connected in that sense of it's like all hands on deck at that point. So you yeah. can't opt out of the dirty part of this job of dealing with mm -hmm. sinful church members. Yeah, from, from step one all the way down to this step here. Everybody's involved. It, there shouldn't be that thought at any point where you go, you know, why isn't the pastor dealing with that? I may not know. You go back to step one. You know about it. What should you do? Go to that person. Should you, should you go to me on that first step? No. Second step, I'm okay with. I'm okay on the first step if you go, I don't know what to do, and you just need wise counsel. I think there's an opening for that. I would recommend in those times saying, I'm not going to tell you who it is, but there's this going on. I don't need to know. I hope that it stops at step one and I never have to know. That'd be a wonderful thing for me. But sometimes it gets to this point here. I remember uh, one of the churches we went to down in South Carolina where it, when it got to this point, it, it was interesting because I don't know if you remember it the same way I do, but I, I remember watching... Um, as soon as the, the, that time was over, as this church family time that we had, there was a group that knew that person that didn't know about it up to this point, which, man, that says something right there in a big church that they didn't know yet. No gossip had been happening. But as soon as they found out, they, they love-bombed that person. We're going, <laughs> you know, to lovingly confront, like, we love you. Please don't go that route. It's a path of destruction. It's the wrong choice. We will help you in whatever way we can. And this is, this is done right. This is where it comes in like family. We will help you. We will find a way so that you, you don't feel any longer like you, you're for Because Satan's lying and telling you that, isn't he? You have no choice. You, you've already gone down this path. You're stuck. You can't get out financially or re personally or your, the, the feelings of your heart. And the church comes in and says, we love you. We will help you every way that we can to pull you out of this, to, to eliminate those lies of Satan and to establish hope. Because still the hope is, what was that? So the, <laughs> this church is falling apart. Um, things are buzzing, things are falling down. I'm sorry, did you have something? Mm -hmm. oh, that's absolute. I'm so glad. Um, I'm going to use uh, this phrase. What happens teaches. My podium in the way. Should have thought through this better. What happens teaches. You may be tempted with a certain path and you see this happen. And in that moment you go, I'm not going down that path. And what happens can teach. You can see that played out. Very good. All right. I don't want to cut anybody else off, but we're going to move to the next step here. Because the rest of verse 17, Matthew 18, 17 says this. Because this can happen again. Back to this point, sometimes that person may feel like they just went and told the whole, and they, that, that could happen. They could leave that group, and they could go out, and they say, you wouldn't, they, they're blabbing my business across the whole church. No matter how you've done it, and if you've done, uh, attempted to do everything the right, most loving way, 
people can still respond this way and refuse to listen, even to the church. And Jesus says, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. And that's, that's kind of important because you first hear that and you go, oh, is a Gentile, tax collector. How did Jesus treat Gentiles and tax collectors? <laughs> Lovingly. Okay. But there's a difference, isn't there? There's a difference. No longer do I think of you in my head as someone who's secure in your faith as a brother in Christ or sister in Christ. I think that probably you're not. I'm going to treat you as such. How do we treat the lost? With love. We're, we're reaching out to them. So this is not a shunning like the Amish, right? We're not going to do that. It's about identifying, clarifying. But there's a word that's actually used here, and it's been used incorrectly quite often. I think the Catholic Church has kind of confiscated it. But this is still a good word. Uh, step four is excommunication. Excommunication simply is a word that means um, we're not going to, and we're going to see this in 1 Corinthians 5 because we're going to, we're going to shift back over there. Excommunication means that we're, specifically with this right here that's on this table. They, when they talked about fellowshipping together, they would quite often say, we're going to eat together. That's what the, the first century church would talk about. That's how Paul would talk about. We're going to eat together. Because they didn't just have little tiny cups, right? They would have a meal together. Kind of like what we do on our fellowship Sundays right, when we have our, our big meal. It, it was more like that. But there, this, this was a part of that bigger meal that they would have. And so we're going to hear Paul talk about those things. But at this point, if someone refuses to believe as a church, you have to get to this point where you say, as a church, this person, as far as we know, is no longer a believer. This, this becomes important. If they were just coming anyway, it doesn't do anything, does it? But if you say, we're going to have to take you off the membership, that ought to mean something. It's not like a membership to a, a, a fancy club, golf club, right? This is, about saying, this is about saying, we don't think that you're a believer. And we're concerned for your soul. What we're going to do then is what Paul says. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, this goes back to 1 Corinthians, when you're assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present, with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. There's something that does happen in this moment. Jesus kind of refers to it as well, so I flip back over to Matthew 18. Jesus actually continued, finished that, that conversation off with something that you may have heard out of context, but note, notice the context this is in. Jesus says, Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. He's saying that in relation to what he was just talking about. But whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two... Uh, two of you agree on earth about anything they ask will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. This is so important because this is precisely, I think, what Paul is alluding to when he talks about handing someone over to Satan. Because we're saying in the power, what did he say? In the power of the Lord. And Paul was saying, when my spirit is present with you in the name of Jesus, I think he's thinking about these things that Jesus taught. There's something real that happens at this moment. We as a church are saying we're handing this person over to be taken out of any type of protection that God may have on them so that their fleshly desires might die by whatever means necessary. 
Those are hard things, aren't they? By whatever means necessary. We do it in love because our hope is that this will turn them. Our hope is like what happened with the prodigal son. Did he turn back after his dad gave him everything? No. Did he turn back when he started losing his money? No. Did he turn back when he lost his friends? No. Where was he at when he finally, the Bible says, came to himself? In the pigsty. Came to himself. I believe and I hope that God with each person knows exactly how far he needs to take them. Even up to that point, and me, even up to that point of death, close. But God, not yet. That's what we pray, isn't it? If you've got to get them close, God, do it. But not yet. Not until they put their faith in you. I've seen many a people in their deathbed finally say, okay. I see that and I go, God knew how far they'd have to take them. God knew exactly how far they'd have to go. And so we, we see these things, and in the name of Jesus, we hand someone over and say, we say as a group, in the name of Jesus, in the power that he represents, we hand you over. We say like Paul in Satan's hands, but we know from Job that Satan can't do anything that God does not allow. And so we hand you over knowing that God is in control and we're praying, we're hoping he'll bring you to the, the pigsty so that you may at one point, like that prodigal son, come to yourself and come back. That's the hope. Now I'm going to shift gears a little bit. I'm going to do this really fast because some of you are like, Matt, have you looked at the clock? Okay, I have. The practice of church discipline. This one will go a lot faster. But I need to include it in here. I'm going to read through just a little bit. Let me swing back over here. I'm going to read through just a little bit. And I think you'll see that this church in Corinth is right at that final step. Notice in 1 Corinthians 5, it says this. I wrote to you, Paul says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. So there must have been another Corinthians before our 1 Corinthians. We don't have it. There's no copies of it that survived that we know of. But there was some letter he'd written to them where he had said this. And there must have been either a misinterpretation or a misunderstanding because he's going to clarify what he means here. The word associate, by the way, is, is two words combined, mix together. So picture uh, when you're making cookies and, and you take the liquid ingredients and the, right, you put them in together. You're attempting as you mix together to get rid of the definition lines, right? You don't, you're not going to cook it when it's still clearly liquid and, you know, the solid stuff, right? You want to get it blended together. That's what that word associate means. Not to associate. Um, he says this, not at all. Now think about what he said. Don't associate with the sexually immoral. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world. Think about that for a minute. I'm going to be honest. I think that most of us, a majority, get this backwards. Okay? We get it backwards. Not at all, Paul says, me and the sexual immoral of this world or the greedy or the swindlers or the idolaters, since if you try to do that, where would you have to go? You'd have to go out of the world. Some have tried to do that, haven't they? 
I can't associate with these kinds of people. And so they're off in their own little spot, right? Barely venturing out. And if they do, just got to avoid contact with these filthy beasts, you know, pagans. Is that, Paul says, not that. That's not what we're doing. It's not like Jesus at all, is it? He says, but now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality. I'm glad he doesn't stop at that one because there's other things that someone might get disciplined for. Greed or an idolater, reviler, right? Just using harsh words. A drunkard or a swindler. Not even to eat with such a one. Not at all meaning I couldn't sit down at, you know, five star. And I'm going to talk about this in just a moment. But talking about this. We're not going to fellowship in such a way that it's going to go that way. But then listen to these words so carefully. I could have just, these ne- this next two verses here, you could just read 20 times in a row. These next two verses, I would love to just have, my wife said the same thing this morning. We're talking about this. Every church in Dan will just, just do this. For what have, I ha- what have I to do with judging outsiders? Now, this may change your understanding of word usage from this point forward. What have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? So to say a blanket statement, don't judge anyone, is now excluded. Is it not? Is that not what the text says? Now Paul just talked about judging, but here he says, judging outsiders, no. But are we not to judge those within, meaning those who have claimed membership as a local body, to judge those, right? God judges those outside. And he ends with this quote, purge the evil person from among you. So I'm going to end with what I think, and this is where there was supposed to be a picture at the bottom of your paper, but it didn't print. This was the picture that was supposed to be there. And uh, it was on the thing when I went to print it and it just didn't show up. I think there are three, if you want to call them phases or spheres of human relationship I get from this passage, three different ways that we relate. Okay? So the first one, and the closest circle, so if you want to draw a circle, got your two people in there. First one there is true Christian fellowship. True Christian fellowship, intertwined right? Associating, that's what that word mixed together. Intertwined lives. A lot of implications there, but we're running short on time. True Christian fellowship. This is where we all ought to be as a church. Second I have here, and I just call it loving outreach. So in this gray circle is people that are not Christians. Okay, so if you're wondering what that's supposed to represent, so the white circle, those who are part of the church, outside of the church, Loving outreach. My thought when I'm out in the world is loving outreach. Because you know what I want to do? I want to bring them in. Right? I want to bring them in. So if you read Paul's words, he says, don't associate with right, the sexually immoral. Not meaning the sexually immoral of this world. So that means there can be some measure of association 
with those that are not part of the church. So you're, you're out there. You're getting to know people. You're working with them. You're, uh, they're your neighbors, right? They're extended family. They're people that you're getting to know, and it's loving out. You're loving them. You're not judging anything that they do. You're not shunning any one of them. No matter what kind of lifestyle they have, no matter how they're living, you're, you're loving Outreach, just like Jesus, just read the Gospels again and again and look how Jesus dealt with the tax collectors and publics. He was talking with them. He went to parties with them, right? Outreach. Loving outreach. But then there's a third, and for lack of a better way to refer to this relationship, it's a call to repentance. This person represents that one has gone through those steps and has been, right? We're taking you off the membership, you're no longer a member of our church because you're sin. But now it's a call to repentance. I'm going to put it this way. Uh, the relationship here is not a shunning. You're never going to just sit down and have small talk and have it end there. When you're with this person, you love them. You love them. But at some point in every conversation, you work in there. We want you back. We want you back. We want this restored. We want you back so bad. We love you. Right? Everybody at church, we're ready. We're ready to help you. We're ready to bring you back in. We love you so much. Sometimes it requires you saying, I've noticed since you've been gone, things haven't gone the way you thought they would. You may even go, if they've been at church and they know the word, then you may go, have you reached your pigsty yet? I like to say, I know what my pigsty was like. I know what mine was like. I'm, I'm praying for you. But, but it's never small talk. We're never just going to get together and play a game, and it's not going to come up. Eventually, they're going to learn that, aren't they? Something's still off. They're going to know that you love them, but they're also going to know that you are still saying, we want you back. Where you're going is a path I can't go down with you. But it's a path that leads to destruction. And I don't want to see you go that way. And I don't care what the world has lied to you and said. I want you to turn, repent, and come back. So the relationship becomes nothing but that. Now I know that uh, as I end at this particular point, there are so many potential questions Concerns. Well, what about this? What about this? All the different what ifs, what ifs, what ifs. Uh, I'm going to deal with one particular one right now. Um, our church practices what we call open communion. Not all churches do this. Open communion means that when we distribute this out, we leave it up to you as the individual to decide if you're truly a part of the body or not. Not all churches do that. Did you know that? Um, some don't practice open communion. They have communion for their members. Members only come in. Um, I, I get why, when you read a passage like this, I get why, um, but we practice open communion. And so there, there's an element where I say, you know, when this is passed out, I say, hey, if, if you're not a true follower of Christ, I would suggest passing this up. And there's some things we're going to get to in 1 Corinthians that are going to back that up, some serious warnings for someone flippantly taking this. But we're going to have our guys come up in just a moment, and they're going to distribute this. Here's what I'd like you to do. Let's assume for just a moment, as far as I know, 
um, even those that, that are not technically members. As far as I know, in this room, we're all followers of Christ together. Okay? I want to encourage you with a couple things. I want to encourage you, if you're not a member, understand that I usually don't talk about that because I, unlike maybe other pastors you've met, I'm, I could care less about having a nice big number on my membership list. Okay? I don't care. And it's not my membership list. Right? But I do care in the sense of what we've talked about. I care for your sake and for mine. When you identify and you become a part of a body of believers, you open yourself up to a lot of tough things, but you're also opening yourself up to accountability, genuine, real accountability. And I tell you what, that's not just for you. I need it too. Right? There's not a person in this room that is excluded from the need of accountability where you get together and you converse and you talk and you're connected. That's a tough thing for me. If you know me well, you know I'm an introvert. I could easily live in a cabin in the woods by myself and never talk to anybody. It, I wouldn't, except my wife. I, I, w- I wouldn't be sad at all being a loner. But I come up here and I talk to you, right? I participate in this fellowship because I believe what we've been reading, that it's important not just for your sake but for mine. So I want you to consider, as this is passed around, think back, if you can, just imagine the generation upon generation of Christians who have been doing this since Paul's day. And that for them, as it should be for us, this meant something more than just a piece of bread, look, drink. It was, what do we call it? Communion, the Lord's Supper, communing together. We're partaking of the body of Christ together. We do this as a group as a family, as brothers and sisters in Christ. So I want you to imagine, just think about those generations that have done that. And when you take, we're all going to take that bread together, right? So, so we're going to pass it out, and you're going to be holding a little bread, a little cup, and I'm going to read the passage, and this too in remembrance of me, and you're going to take that, and just let yourself, this sounds weird, but let yourself listen to all the people chewing, right, partaking. Some people are louder than others, right? Partake together, eating together, and then we're going to do the... This is the body, right? This is the blood. We take together, but just let yourself soak in being part of a body of Christ and what all that can mean and should mean.